Robert Brunner founded Ammunition Group in 2007 to communicate ideas through products, brands, and their surrounding experiences. His work as an industrial designer has spawned numerous brand-defining designs over the past three decades, including his efforts while the director of industrial design for Apple. Named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, Robert's work is included in permanent design collections at MoMA in both New York and San Francisco. I managed to catch up with Robert at his San Francisco studio. I hope you find his insights about the intersection of business and art as fascinating as I did. In Silicon Valley, uh, in your view, there are two types of cultures, uh, at least as it relates to the work that you do, design-driven cultures and engineering-driven cultures. And I would guess that you're part of the design-driven culture, but can you tell me about the distinction between those two things? I guess the way I'd describe the difference at, at the highest level is, you know, for me, a design culture tends to be people-driven. That is, you know, thinking about what you're doing, what you're making, what you're building, and, and how that relates to people and their lives and, and what they're doing. And, and so there's this very sort of human-centric focus on the work as, you know, its primary result has to do with people. You know, we tend to favor working in an environment where, first and foremost, we're about what we're delivering to the end user or our audience, and then coming back and figuring out how we're going to work through all the technical and operational aspects of delivering that into the world. Well, the thing that I notice, and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, is that uh, UI tend to be more of an afterthought, or at least later on down the road, and I, and I should say user interface and not just UI. And whereas in design culture, it always seemed to me to be you know more of an upfront consideration. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, it, there there's there's user interface, you know, which is incredibly important, which is you know in both hardware and software the sort of direct plane or relationship between the thing and the user, right? And, and again, it's very, very prevalent in the software, but also in hardware when we're figuring out a device and how it, how it feels, how people operate it, and so forth and so on. Sort of above that, there is an area that's, that, that's known as user experience, right? And so um, that not only takes into consideration a lot of things that will drive a UI. A UI is sort of a result of, of the work you do in user experience. But user experience looks more broadly at, you know, what people are doing and how they're doing it and how they're living and what is the problem that's trying to be solved and all these things, right, that sort of lead you to what an interface would be. And, and yeah, in, in what we do, it's, it's right up front. Our studio, I would not describe as, as a research-driven studio. That is, th though we have um, a very strong UX team and a very strong strategy team, and really the point of the, we do this activity up front of trying, you know, we always characterize it as trying to figure out what's worth designing in the first place. Right, right. that's always <laughs> right. a good question, right? <laughs> yeah, well, no, you'd be surprised how many companies just have a list of specs and, and, and a box of hardware and let's go out and make this thing. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, let's figure out what's important about this thing first and how it's going to actually address the need and how it's going to communicate to people and, and so forth. And that, and that, that is a very important um, design exercise, you know, and, and it's, it's very much part of our studio, you know, because essentially we, I mean, we want to build 
amazing, beautiful, desirable things, but if they're not <laughs> doing what they need to do or they're not addressing a problem that's out there or even really just figuring out how it fits into someone's life, then chances are it's going to fail, right? And it, it won't have exactly. the impact that we wanted, wanted in the first place. So let's go back here a little bit, well, maybe quite a bit, at Apple. Can you tell me about those early years there and you know your impact on the way that Apple approaches uh, their product development? You know, I started working with with Apple in 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 the in the late '90s. You know, and then that was as as a consultant, a principal at Lunar Design, and we we got involved in a lot of sort of early programs looking at technology and what that might mean to a product and so forth. And and through that, I built some relationships. And at one point, I was asked to come and run their industrial design program, be their be their design director, and uh, and I actually said no. <laughs> well, you know, it just at that time, you know, what was going on in the company and how design was being handled. And it was largely the creative part of the product design process was being mostly handled with external consultants like myself. And the internal team was largely they had some some creative individuals, but large, a lot of it was around managing those, those um, organizations and, and process. And, and I just didn't want to do that. You know, I just I'm have been and still remain a creative individual that I, I, you know, sort of live to make things. Right. And, um, so I said no. And, and that was probably a good thing because they went away for like four months and then they came back and said, well, well you know, actually we really want you, <laughs> what would it take for you to join the company? And, and, you know, I was, uh, you know, and I'm a pretty easy going guy, but I was very straightforward and just said, look, um, I think you could have, one of the best design organizations in the world inside this company. And if you want to go out and build that, I'd be up for that, you know? And, and so they said, yes. It, it, and, and for me, it was, <laughs> I always say this, um, you know, I was young enough to make a big mistake and have plenty of time to recover and stuff. <laughs> this is what, you know, and obviously it was Apple computer and Apple, you know, even at that time, this, I always joke that my tenure at the company was um, between jobs, right? Because jobs had just left, and then not too long after I left Apple, they came back, right? But, but it was a challenging time for the company and, and trying to figure out, they had this design culture that had been built and trying to keep that going and growing. And, and it, the company was expanding, expanding different areas. So it was a very challenging time. So, so I decided to do it and, and it was a great experience. So, you know, I spent over seven years building an organization and a team and developing products within that organization and learned a hell of a lot and made amazing relationships that still serve me today. You know, still, still can continue to work with a lot of the people that, that I worked with and, and, you know, and managed to set some seeds for building a, a good design organization and hired some people that part of our team that remain there and have helped, you know, I won't take credit for Apple's success today by any means, because, you know, a lot of the um, world changing products happened after my tenure, but, you know, I can say that I helped set some seeds and hired some people and, and set some, set a course that, you know, helped, helped enable that to happen, which is in, incredibly gratifying. Uh, what was the favorite project that you worked on during your tenure there? I mean, was there one that you go, man, that was really a cool project? I guess there's two. There's uh, there's a lot, but there's two that stand out. The, the first one, which was very challenging and honestly very painful, was the original uh, PowerBook, you know, which later became the MacBook. You know, it was the, the company was really far behind in the notebook category, which was beginning to take off. And they had 
the existing product was this very large lumbering, <laughs> you know, it was basically a desktop Mac with a battery and a built-in keyboard. You know, it just really wasn't, uh, you could loosely describe it as portable because it had a handle. And, and so we have, so that program was to catch up and, but, you know, at, at that time, and this is going to, this is like going way back into ancient history. Most of the other notebook computers are out there from Compaq and others where they didn't have to worry so much about a pointing device, right? Because still a lot of people were using, it was before Windows was really catching on, a lot of people were still using command line interface. So, you know, they had these little notebook sized computers and they might have a little clip on trackball that goes on the side, but Apple was different. Apple from the very beginning had a graphical user interface that required um, a pointing device of some sort. So we had to embed that in the design in some way. And ultimately, that's what really led to the PowerBook design, which actually remains the still foundational design of almost every notebook computer out there, where we came, we were, we were trying to figure out where do we put this, at that time it was a trackball, again, kind of dating myself, but um, we were working with a very creative engineer and we decided there was, if we put it in the, if we push the keyboard back and made this palm rest and then put the pointing device between the battery and hard drive, we could actually fit it. And we looked at it and realized we were creating this sort of mobile, literal, physical desktop that you was always there, no matter whether you're working on your lap or working on an airline seat tray or working on a table. And, and, and the, the really great thing about Apple, especially at that time, was that it, since it was a culture driven by design and, and creativity and engineering, but all, and, and everyone looked at this and said, this is great, let's build it. We didn't do a lot of focus group testing, or we did a lot of user testing, you know, sort of refine the, the design, but we didn't sort of go out and ask what people thought about it and if they, if they liked it or not. We just kind of went ahead and did it, partially because of the uh, aforementioned pressure about being behind. And, and it, but it was challenging, you know, it was the first time the company had really built a miniature product at scale. So there's a lot of things that go into building very small things that you don't worry about with larger things. And so it was, it, it was, it was tough, but we managed to get through it, develop a really great product and launch it. And as I said, it, it forever changed that category. Yeah. So, so that one, and then another project briefly, which came more at the end of my tenure, um, was this thing called the 20th anniversary Mac, which was a concept that we created in our studio, right? Which was kind of unusual. Used most product concepts came out of, you know, sort of engineering and marketing coming to design, saying we need to do this thing fit on the roadmap, and and uh, you know we we had this. We've been doing so much work in note notebooks. We had this idea of uh, let's do. Let's take the display technology and put it in a desktop, and and also, you know, as multimedia was becoming a force, let's build an amazing audio system. Right? That was sort of the idea, and and put it in something that is truly iconic, right? That just stands out as an amazing piece of design and 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 desktop sculpture, and and it, and it was challenging to get it off the ground, uh, it, it, because it there wasn't a core piece of technology behind it, right? Normally most things move through the company because there was something, whether it was a microprocessor, it was a capability, it was something that was driving that product. In this case, this was all about design and integration. 
Um, but eventually it did and, and it got it to happen. And, um, and then I left the company and it was launched as a special edition project at a very high price tag, which unfortunately, you know, kept it from becoming the mainstream product that we had envisioned. But, but I think it was very impactful. Again, when you look at IMAX and other desktop computers today, um, while they have larger screens and slightly different configurations, they all sort of follow a similar blueprint. Right. And, um, so again, it was sort of nice, you know, I guess that's one of the things that I, I really enjoy about what I do. I think that that's possibly the most beautiful desktop computer ever designed. Uh, and, and I mean that seriously. I, I wanted one of those so badly. And as you said, it was just, you know, it was too expensive uh, at the time yeah. for, for, I mean, I'm a, I'm a photojournalist, right? So, <laughs> so, yeah. so it was a little bit, and I think I remember seeing uh, it on a Seinfeld episode once. I know he had a yeah. regular Mac and then I think yeah. he got one of those. Yeah, I and I was that. just yeah. dying watching that. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember what they were talking about. I just, I was locked on this computer that was in the background, uh, and I go, "That looks so beautiful." There, it was such a gorgeous machine. It was, and that, that you know, in in the final concept, uh, Johnny, Johnny, I carried the design, and he did an amazing job at, at at working it out and detailing it, the materials and finishes. Everything was just was almost perfect. So. Was that one of his uh, one of his early projects? Because did you hire Johnny? Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was just like common knowledge. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I often another one of my favorite jokes is that um, when I die, right on my tombstone, it'll say, you know, the guy who hired Johnny. Johnny was like the the first person I tried to recruit when I went to Apple. Um, he had I, he had visited me with uh, Lunar and thought he was an amazing talent and. I actually tried to hire him then, and he goes, no, I'm going back to England. And then when I first went to Apple, I called him up and said, I'd love you to come out and be part of a studio. And he said, no, I just had just started Tangerine. So he turned me down again. <laughs> um, and then and then later, um, we did a, a project with his studio and, uh, and and got him to come out to Cupertino and and actually and managed to sway him and he, and he joined the company. So it was yeah, obviously fantastic, super talented, driven individual, but also a really sweet person. Yeah, we, we remain friends and these days. He's a really great guy. That's cool to hear. That's cool. So what a place to be in between jobs. Hire Johnny. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, yeah. I I think your fingerprints are on a few things there. Hey, I want to talk uh, a little bit about. Uh, education for a second I, I really what i want to focus on now for a minute is you as an artist and uh one of the things that i was wondering i think you went to you graduated from san jose state i believe yes right? yeah, yeah so as a as a designer um how what is the role of education at least for you and because we hear a lot of things uh, you know all oh, artists don't need education and then i'm hearing from a lot of artists that that period was really important to them. Uh, tell me a little bit about what your experience was. Uh, yeah, I had a great experience at San Jose State. At the time, it still remains a, a, a very good design school. And being a California resident, it was like, wow, I can, <laughs> you know, I can afford this. But um, <laughs> it, it, no, I, you know, I think design school is incredibly important. I mean, I, 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 I talk to people early in their 
studies that are very talented that kind of feel like I could just go out and do this now, right? I can, I have some skills, I have ideas. And, and that, that certainly is possible. But I, I think design school gives you, I mean, first of all, of course, being educated and everything that goes with that, whether you're in an art school or or, or university is extreme value as, a, as an individual. From a creative point of view, I think there's a couple things that from my perspective, and when we when we look at students here, they're very important. One is that there are skills, techniques, equipment. There's just a number of things that you need to know how to do and know how to do well. And 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 so that's just sort of the basic on the on the craftsmanship and execution and 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 visualization, all these things that you know as as a designer they're extremely important. So learning how to do that and being taught by professionals and, and who understand the state of the art and are, are you know, uh, teaching how to use those tools and techniques is extremely important. The, the other thing that I think is possibly as or more important is just the, being in a creative environment, right? Being in a, in a, especially art schools, but many, many universities also have design departments that, that foster a sort of studio-like environment where you're there with with your instructors, but with your peers, um, you have space to explore. You have space to fail. You have space to learn. You have, you know, and so you you can begin to develop who you are as a creative person. You you don't figure it all out. It's just a it's just a direction and a beginning. It's one thing I have. Um, actually, have six kids. <laughs> Four are of college or have gone, three have gone through college. One is just entering college and they all have studied creative careers and, and not by my doing, all their, their own choice. But I often tell them, you know, that environment's incredibly important. And the other thing that it's okay to do, and this may sound blasphemous, but I say it's okay to copy people, right? Not your other students, of course, but designers and work you see out there is important and relevant and inspiring because ultimately you begin to use that as a basis to develop your own thing, right? You see something that excites you and interests you and you, and you try it and learn about it and it, it evolves and you eventually start going down a path that you are personally inspired to be in. And, and those are the kind of things that, that happen in a creative environment that support the ideas of exploration and, and iteration and learning. And, and so I think that's incredibly important to a, to a creative professional to have gone through that period. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I think uh, when you're in school, a, a lot of instructors, a lot of professors actually teach you through uh, emulating what other artists have done. And I mean, and that is a tradition that goes, you know, way back. I, I, I know painters used to have to copy, you know, works by the masters in order to improve their skills and, and really uh, be good at their craft. And that's another point that you touched on that I'm hearing over and over again uh, for every type of artist, which is you have to know your craft. You have to know your craft you know, before you really can move forward. And I, I think uh, emulating successful designs uh, is one of the ways that you can do that. When I went to school, I was absolutely obsessed with Mario Bellini. Uh -huh. who is a, a very well-known Italian designer. And, and he had this way of, and he had worked in, in, in technology, early technology with, with Olivetti. And he had this um, way of making static things be dynamic, right? That mm -hmm. I just became fascinated with this thing. Well, it's, it's a desktop calculator. It's just supposed to sit there on your desk, but somehow it looks like it's about to leap, right? And yeah. so 
Um, and, and so I, I became fascinated with that dynamic aspect of form and, and blended with functionality. And, and so it was super influential and I, and, and, and led to, you know, what eventually became my, my thought process and vocabulary around developing form. And when you talk about user experience, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that, that gets users excited, right? When the, the thing does have, have life, it does have, there's more to it than just the function that it does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's something that I think really separates our studio and, and the type of people that we like to have in the studio and, and, and our work is that, you know, it's very easy as a designer to get um, overwhelmed by the rational, functional aspects of creating something, which are, of course, are very important, whether it's um, on the on the user side, ergonomics, um, human interface, um, usability, all these things are very important on the operation side, engineering, manufacturing, all the things that you have to, you know, know how know well to be able to get your idea out into the world. But the thing that is often most challenging and, and often discounted is the emotional side of things. You know, a, a, another thing that has always fascinated me from the very beginning when I started learning about design was the, the relationship that people have with things, uh, objects, you know, that ultimately in many ways we define ourselves by the things that we surround ourselves, that we choose to have in our life, whether that's your car or your house, but your 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 phone, your wallet, your briefcase, um, your shoes. You make many of those choices, and, and in fact, almost all choices in varying degrees at an emotional level, and something somehow you're connecting with and, and it speaks to you and you want to have it in your life and in your home or, you know, be part of you. And, th and that I've always found fascinating, sort of trying to put that together. So what is it that, that it is it that, that makes things, that people drawn to things, right? And, uh, and, and that's a, an incredibly important part of design, which does at times get discounted because it's not easy to understand and it's not rational and it, it can't be measured or graphed, right? It's just... It's just there, and it's a very human thing. And and but I, I I think it's an extremely important part of what we do. It's this idea of, and, and even at the functional level, this idea when you when you purchase and use something, it should really delight you, right? It should delight you in, in what it does and how it does it and how it looks and how it feels and all those things, right? So that that's that's a that's a goal that that, that we have when we're trying to create something to find that that delight in it in, in a very ways that's the part of it that i i love as well when that happens you know and it's, it's just suddenly you go i i love using this i i have that with uh, cameras as well there are certain cameras they make me want to go take pictures i i just love that feeling you know getting back to design though i, I you know i have have people sort of ask this sort of very broad what is design question and you know the best answer i've ever given is that design is the purposeful creation of things, right? Things get created all the time and, and sometimes not purposefully. <laughs> and that's what leads, leads to a lot of bad design, right? Um, but, you know, when, when you're specifically said, I'm going to, you know, there's, a, there's something here that's going, to, I'm going to create with purpose in mind, that's when you're designing. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And there's a lot of different measures of success in that. But to me, that's always been, what I do and, and my team does is sort of this very focused, creative, but purposeful development of things and ideas. 
that's probably the best definition I've ever heard, actually. So that, that, that definition will continue to live on well beyond this conversation. <laughs> How do you define success as an artist? You know, and uh, I'm sure you saw it one way when you were younger. You might see it a little, a little differently now, but... Uh, Give me, give me your best shot at how you define success. Yeah, that is a good question, you know, and, and there's a lot of things in there and, you know, awards, you know, having recognition, that, that, that's all very nice. And of course you, you know, want to do well financially. That's, that's well, but it, I don't think as a designer and most of the designers I know that are very good at what they do, that's not really what drives them or what they consider success, right? It, it may be, um, part of it, right, that that happens. But, you know, I, I think it, it has a lot to, more to do about impact, right, and, and, and creating things that really change something or inspire something or move the world in a different direction. And, and when you're earlier in your career, you're probably focused more on, I, I know I was, just at making something, you know, really cool. <laughs> exactly. Really cool yes. that everybody, yes. will, everybody will get excited about and love and tell you what, how amazing it is. And that's, that's, and that's still gratifying today. As time goes on, you start to rise up above that and, and look at, you know, the, the more macro impact that, that you've had and, and the work that you've done. Right. I, I mean, I, I mentioned the power book and that impact, um, you know, another one that I'm extremely proud of is the work that we've created over a decade for Beats by Dr. Dre um, that has been really impactful in culture and really impactful in people's lives and in yes. business and, you know, and, and being able to do that. Um, you know, and we've done, you know, early on, I, there was a um, modernist barbecue I created called Fuego, which never was, you know, a sort of, popular success, but, but I always felt extremely proud of it because it was, it was one of the first times when I looked at something through an entirely different lens and came up with something unique. So I looked at the classic backyard barbecue, but through this lens of, of modern form design and materials um, to come up with an, a very unique piece of outdoor furniture. And, and it did have some impact and influenced other manufacturers you know, to, to pay more attention to design and their products. Then, you know, I look at something like the work we've done for Square, which has really changed the way small businesses do financial transaction, transactions with their customers, right? It just has completely opened up, opened up a new way. And again, now practically every store or deli you go into is using um, Square or a competitor of Square to, to use your, your transactions. They sure are. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And then, and then more recently, we project a couple of projects with UNICEF. You know, in, in what we do, you don't get a high number of options around social good, right? You you do, but it's 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 sometimes the type of organizations we work with always tend to be pretty commercially driven, and you try and do your best. But here was a case where they approached us and had done some studies on this product they call Kid Power, um, which was essentially a fitness tracker motion tracker for kids but they had sort of come up with an idea where as kids exercised they earned points and then they could use those points to unlock a nutrition program for a starving child somewhere in the world um, wow, so that's really neat so it was yeah. so it was encouraging them and they, and they found through their trials that 
it actually motivated kids more than prizes or winning uh -huh. games, this sort of idea of helping other kids. And so we helped design the product and the packaging and the system and so forth. And I just got an email about a month ago that um, it has literally saved 100,000 lives, right, through the, the, the implementation of this, this kid power system, which, um, you know, so that there's hardly anything that's more gratifying than something like that, which you, you know, helped create and, and get out into the world that has, has had that kind of impact. I should say so. That is time well spent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. So, so I, you know, so I think that question, I think, you know, for me as an artist, defining success is really, I, I guess I, I still have this love and fascination for the craftsmanship of design. And when you create something that is beautiful, functional, inspirational, at the object level that that is that is always a thrill that i'm i will i'll never lose and i don't think yes. any, any designer does but then as you grow in your career and your life you sort of say when you can step back and say here are these things that i did that really changed something and and really um enabled something and that that is to me one of the highest measures of the success of your work yes absolutely well said indeed a lot of these things that you've talked about that you worked on, you worked on in, uh, with Ammunition Group, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, you know, Ammunition is a, there's a, we're a design studio, and we have about uh, 45 people, mainly here in San Francisco. We also have a small office in Brooklyn. But it's, you know, I, I started the company, I, I, was, um, I was a partner in Pentagram, which is a very, very highly regarded, highly regarded uh, creative organization with offices around the world. But it, it's largely, at that time anyway, was largely driven by the more two-dimensional aspects of their work, which tended to be in graphic design, branding, and so forth, and very incredibly talented, smart people I worked with, and it was a partner in the company, but I was running a product design team out of the San Francisco office. And, you know, I, I saw a couple things happening that I thought were important. One was you could see this movement in the understanding of design, in, in, in particular in the technology world, sort of rising up, right, from when I first started my career to a sort of necessary evil. <laughs> um, <laughs> later, it became sort of a corporate identity idea, right, that we're going to sort of brand our things through how they look and feel. Then it became about innovating, right, you have creative people who can come up with wacky ideas. And, and, but then it started to settle into this idea that it's on par or even sometimes more important than technology and marketing and engineering, right? That, that, that it, if you're not making things that people can understand and interact with and be excited about, it doesn't matter about all the other stuff, right? It doesn't I matter agree. how well I, I totally you, agree with you know, that. What, yeah, it doesn't matter about the technology or, or how it's, how it's delivered if, if people aren't interested in it and yeah. don't want to use it. And so, so the people, Organizations were starting to realize that. And then the other thing was that I, um, you know, through, through, through working at Apple and Pentagram, I, I began to really believe in the importance of a multidisciplinary approach to developing, developing products, right? That, you know, the object that, that, you know, the industrial designer creates is very important. But, you know, when you think about using things and them being successful in your life and then brands that you're really interested in, there's a lot of things that go into that from, how you learn about it and what kind of package does it come in and what's it like when you first use it and 
how is it using it and can it does it do what it's supposed to do and what happens if it breaks and what do i do with it at the end of you know all these things right those all come together to form the idea of a product experience so that's how we structured our office and team here around this sort of idea of, of very focused but multidisciplinary parallel tracks around how creating things creating, creating really amazing things and then the last thing which is another important part of our culture is that uh, you know when I was at Pentagram and thinking about starting ammunition I had this sort of um, thing that was just bugging me about what I was doing which is that I, I started to realize we actually worked really cheaply right? <laughs> that, uh-huh. um, because because of that creative designer in us in me um, I was happy to like get a project that was cool work on it and as long as I was paid enough to pay myself and my people and keep the company afloat that was great right and then you you create this intellectual property hand it over and you see how to go out and create this incredible value in the world yes. and 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 you know many times you could trace that value back to some very important things that we did so we decided we would figure out ways of different models to work in and we started working on a um, return on sales model sort of royalty based was a little different and then we started as the startup community here began to grow and we're working with a lot of early stage companies we began to essentially invest in them right so we would do in, in, through a variety of mechanisms end up owning part of the things that we were working on and and those two things you know have some obvious financial potential um, but but we discovered something really interesting about that in that the the mindset difference between being a hired gun versus part of the equation is huge <laughs> I can imagine and, I can imagine yeah yeah so all of a sudden you're, you're you have a seat at the table and your voice is 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 listened to more you're you're viewed as a partner right all these things in a working style began to become part of our culture that to this point today, even if it's, you know, sort of a traditional design contract model, we still kind of act that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> not everybody can handle not everyone, not all our clients can handle that, but that's sure, kind sure. of a culture, <laughs> culture of the studio. And, and that's become very much part of who we are. You know, we're, we're creative, fast moving, intelligent people, but we sort of take a very sort of personal um, ownership of the things we work on and really work with companies, not just to develop that product, but think a lot about their business and how how it could be structured around it. And and that, that work is super rewarding as well. So, so that, that's sort of a, you know, a nutshell about, about the company. That is absolutely fascinating. Robert, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. I, I've learned a lot. A big thanks to Robert for joining us this week. You can learn more about him by visiting ammunitiongroup.com and hats off to our talent producer, Kelly Richards, for making the connection. I'll be back next time with another artist and thoughts behind their creations. Until then, this is Derek Story, the nimble photographer, wishing you great success in all your endeavors. This podcast is made possible by select members of Patreon. You can learn more and pledge your support for the digital story and the nimble photographer by visiting www.patreon.com slash the digital story. That's www.patreon.com slash the digital story.